Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Welcome. Uh, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here at City on a Hill. I just want to welcome each of you today uh, on this beautiful April day, uh, the first Sunday after Easter. We celebrated the resurrection last week, but that doesn't mean we stop celebrating the resurrection. We celebrate it every single week. And so uh, we gather together every week because Jesus is Risen, And so I just want to welcome you today. If you're a guest with us, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. You'll find a blue card in your seat. You can just uh, give us a way to contact you there. We will send you, uh, for doing so, we'll send you a $5 gift card to Ula Cafe, which is a coffee shop here in JP, as well as make a $5 donation uh, from a list of charities that we will send you via email. And we'll follow up with some information about how to get connected at City on a Hill. Our values are the gospel, community, and mission. Gospel means good news. We're a people who believe in good news, that we were once separated from God because of our sin, and now we've been brought near to God because of the work of Jesus. And so for anyone who trusts in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, you can be saved and have a relationship with God. So if you've not done that, we'd love to help you enter into that relationship. Secondly, community. God created us for relationships with each other. This is why we get together in community groups every week. And so it's not too late to sign up. We're in the middle of community group, uh, our spring semester. So be sure to uh, get uh, plugged into one of those. You can fill out that yellow card, drop that in the box in the back as well. Um, And then uh, thirdly, mission. God created us to join him on his mission. We tell people good news about what Christ has done for us, but also live life shaped by what Christ has done for us. So we love and serve our neighbors in light of what Jesus has done. And a couple of our our announcements relate to that. So coming up this next Sunday afternoon, we're going to have the opportunity to serve over at Boston Housing Authority. We're going to be having a block party. We're going to start doing this once a month for the next several months. Uh, We've built a really good friendship with the site director over there. And so this is a way for us to just love and serve our neighbors at the the housing authority. And so uh, we have a mission team coming next Sunday who's going to do a lot of the work. So that means that you get to hang out and have fun and like eating cotton candy and meet neighbors. So we'll, we'll, you guys, we'll get some more details on the exact time uh, coming up this week. But we'd love to invite you to come be a part of that. Uh, then also like serving in the church. As the church grows, we need more people to serve. So if you're, if you're relatively new and you haven't found a place to plug in, we'd love to help get you connected for a place to a place to serve. What we, an easy way to do this is we set up every Sunday. We just come for about an hour. Um, you get coffee earlier than anybody else and help get things set up on Sundays. Um, and, this, and I've actually found that helping serve is a great way to get connected. So if you're not really connected, you don't really know a whole lot of people. Some of the best friendships I've made have been when I'm working alongside somebody, getting to know them. So be sure to step into that. And then coming up this summer, we have our Kids Summer Adventure. And so uh, if you're not a kid, you can come help out with Kids Summer Adventure. And uh, Kids Summer Adventure is going to be the last week of July. It's a it's a week-long uh, time of studying the Bible, lots of fun games. And we're going to be doing this with uh, all of our City on a Hill uh, Network uh, churches, and we're going to be hosting it here. So we'll be more information coming up. You can scan the QR code for either to send your kids there or to volunteer to help out. We'd love for you to do both of those. Uh, Now, this morning, we're going to be starting a new series on what it means to thrive in the city, what it means to be a a person living in a city like Boston. And if you've been in Boston any amount of time, you know that living in the city is different. 
Living in Boston is different. And if you're not from here, you kind of had to figure out how to learn to live here. So the first thing I did when we were moving up here four years ago to, to plant a church in Boston is I had to go figure out what does it look like to live in Boston? And so I Googled this. I went onto Reddit and was like, how do you, what do you do? Like, you know, how do I not get starrowed? Everybody knows what getting starrowed is, right? How do I not stick my moving truck underneath the bridge? Like, how do I figure out the T? Where do I live? And in fact, if you go to Reddit Boston, there is a, a, a pin at the top of the thing that says basically all moving FAQs, all moving frequently asked questions, because we want to know what it looks like to thrive in the city. Which Duncan is the best Duncan? That's a good question. In fact, if you, if you walk from here, there's, there are three Duncans within a mile, and there's one really good Duncan and one really bad Duncan. I can tell you which one to avoid. We, we try to figure these things out to figure out how do we thrive in the city of Boston and we often think that the Bible doesn't really give us a lot of information on how we would thrive in a city. It doesn't really tell us how we would thrive in a city like Boston. Because I think when we imagine the Bible, we imagine people who are walking around out in the wilderness. We don't imagine a, 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 a metropolitan, cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan type of people. But the Bible actually has a lot to say about cities. And in fact, if you look at the very beginning of the Bible, within the first couple of chapters, they are starting to organize into major cities. Uh, and we're actually going gonna to cover this in greater detail in Genesis in the fall. Our typical mode is to go through a book of the Bible from beginning to end. Uh, and so this next four weeks is kind of a, kind of an, uh, a little bit different. Um, but we're going to look at that in more detail. And we notice they're organizing into cities. And then in the very end of the Bible, it goes from a garden to a city. There's the city of God where God himself is the light. And they're organized together in this place. And so much of the Hebrew people, the Old Testament people of the Bible, much of their story involves cities. And there are two cities that were important to the life of Israel over the years, and those cities were Jerusalem and Babylon. Now, we can imagine Jerusalem. We, we can understand that because that's where they would go and make sacrifices. That was their holy city. But the city of Babylon may have shaped them as much, if not more, than any other city. And the setting for Jeremiah chapter 29 is a people who have been sent into exile. And Jeremiah is writing to the people in exile. And these false prophets are telling them, I know you've been sent into exile, but you're not gonna be living there very long. Don't unpack your boxes. Don't unpack your bags. You're gonna be there for just a little bit. Don't get too comfortable. You'll be gone before you know it. And Jeremiah brings some really sobering news. He said, you're going to be here for the next 70 years which means your kids are going to grow up in Babylonian schools. It means that your grandkids are going to grow up here and play t-ball. They're, they're going to grow up in this place. And what Jeremiah means by saying you're going to be here for the next 70 years is you've got to figure out how to live here. You've got to figure out how to make Babylon home. You've got to figure out how you can operate in this place. And this is why I believe in verse 7, the Lord, through Jeremiah, tells the Hebrew people to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. The word welfare, if you're familiar with the Jewish word or the Hebrew word shalom, is the word for peace. The word can also be translated as flourishing or thriving. What the Lord is saying here is he's saying that the city can be a place where you thrive. It can be a, a place where you grow. And as Christians living in the city of Boston, we have to discern and discover how God wants us to grow here. 
We have to see how God uniquely will use our time in Boston, whether you were born here and you're going to die here or you're simply passing through. You need to figure out how God is going to use your time in Boston to help you grow. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how you can thrive in the city. We're going to be looking at Boston and relationships. We're going to be looking at money and time and recreation. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of our purpose. Why does God have I here? Have us here? Why am I here. I don't know if anybody ever watched the show Seinfeld. I never understood Seinfeld until I lived in Boston. I had never lived in a major city, and I know it's about New York City, but, I, but, but it's sort of similar because they describe the show as a show about nothing. And if you watch the show, they, they, it really feels like it's about nothing. It's just observational humor about the subway and about, uh, about soup and about work and about relationships. And there's really not a lot of character to grow, growth. They just make fun of everything. And in fact, there was actually two rules for the show. One, they never hug. They never hug. And the other is that they never grow. They, they never hug, they never grow because they wanted it to just simply be observations about life. But it's interesting, Jerry Seinfeld, a couple of years ago, who's the namesake of the show, said, it's actually not a show about nothing. It's actually closer to reality than anything else. And it's interesting because that's the way that many of us approach living in the city. We don't really see that we have a purpose here. We don't see this as a place to grow. It's just a loop of work, eat, friends, and play. Repeat. It's just observations about life, maybe that we can make fun of, and it can feel like the city is a place where we come to survive, not a place that God has brought us to, to thrive. And so we have to stop and consider why. Have you ever stopped to consider why God has you in Boston? Let's take a closer look at that. The first thing we see this morning is that you have to know your purpose for being in Boston. Why am I here? That's the great existential question. If you've studied any existentialism, whether that's John Paul Sartre or Albert Camus or Soren Kierkegaard, the, the central question is, why do I exist? Why am I here? Because all of us always are searching for meaning and purpose. We're all searching for a way to figure out to make sense of our lives. So we're looking for something or somewhere or someone. And that may be why you're in Boston. Maybe God, maybe you came here because you were looking for something to, to, to give you some sort of meaning or purpose. But this is also a theological question. It's a question that governs how we understand God and how we understand ourselves in relation to God. The great St. Augustine, the African bishop over, over 1,600 years ago, his famous quote was that our hearts are restless and they're restless until they find their home in God. There's something in us that wants to know why life matters. There's something in us that wants to understand our purpose for being here. And if we understand that we're made by God, that we're made for God to relate to him, then that means that you and I are not here by accident. We are not in this city, in this place by accident. And the very same thing, God is trying to help the Hebrew people understand. He's trying to help them understand that you are in Babylon, not by happenstance, not by chance, but because God wants you here. They had missed the purpose that God had for them in Babylon. They missed that this was God helping guide them towards himself and simply saw it as punishment. Now, in a sense, it was punishment. They were in exile due to their rebellion, but they missed the fact that God also disciplines those that he loves. 
And instead of seeing this as a way that God would draw them closer to himself, they saw this as something to endure, something to just bide their time with. Now, for you and I, we're not exiled to Boston. At least I hope you're not. I hope no one is forcing you to be here. Um, It might feel that way sometimes. It might feel like you're stuck. But whether you were born here or whether you moved here, there's something that draws you to a place like Boston. And there's lots of reasons to live in Boston. And most of the reasons that we want to live here are good reasons. But Tim Keller said there are two unique city uh, benefits that, that living in the city provides. And one of them is that the city unlocks human potential. It unlocks our potential as people because we have this ability to create and this ability, ability to produce. And when you put this many people together in this, in this kind of type of proximity, there's just something hardwired within us to cultivate. There's something hardwired within us to develop and enhance and create. And when you put these people together with this type of density in one place, it, be, it starts to bring the best to the best. It, it shar- we sharpen each other. The cream rises to the top. And Babylon was no different because they were the technological center of the world. There was so much ingenuity, so much promise in this place. All of culture was flowing from this place. And Boston is the same way. And this may be what drew you to the city of Boston. You may have been drawn here because of a top-notch medical program. Maybe you were drawn here because uh, of a residency or, or a particular job or industry. You know, this was the place you wanted to be. Maybe you came here for a, a top-notch school or, or maybe you came here to Berkeley for music. Or you, you know, We see this and we see the fact that Boston, one in six sitting world leaders were educated in Boston. This is a highly, highly educated and influential city. And the reality is, is that we come here to do great things. If you make it here, you make it anywhere. I mean, look, the COVID vaccine, most of the research was done here. Like we're a very influential city. And so Boston holds out this invitation to us that if we'll just come and test your mettle and be, you can be your very best. But also cities provide a place of refuge, In the Bible, the first cities we see were places of refuge. There was a safety in numbers. And and as you gathered together, you came to a place where the rest of the world, it was just the Wild West and there was no laws and you 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 had a chance of of being hurt or, or killed. You could come to a city and even if you were impoverished, there were laws and justice. It was a place where you could come if you were poor to be cared for. And we see this in Boston, that Boston is also a great place of refuge. We have great social programs. We have, a, we, have, we have the T. You can get kind of anywhere in the city. It's one of the top 10 places in the country for the elderly. But it's also a refuge because it's a great place to hide. People, these, the Jews were in Babylon thinking, maybe we can just kind of ride out the next 70 years and be anonymous. Maybe we can just be quiet And some of us here may be in that same place that we see the city as a refuge and a place to hide and to have a fresh start. And it's also just kind of big enough that if things don't go well over here, we can just move to the other side of the city and nobody will know. We have a city of potential and refuge. And these are not bad things, but if they become the ultimate reason for living in Boston, we will miss what God is trying to do in us. Because if that's all it is, if it's simply about your potential, you'll just use the city. Or we'll just aimlessly wander about wondering what God is doing and miss what God is doing in us. But notice in verse seven, it says, 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. The reason that you're in the city is ultimately because God wanted you here. If you were born here, if you were brought here, whatever the reason is, the circumstances may differ, but the purpose doesn't. God has drawn you here in order to draw you closer to himself, to see you grow in Christ's likeness, to see you thrive. And we know this because we look at verse 10 where it says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for, uh, for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promises. We see a God who is with you in the city. We see in verse 11, we have a God who has good for us. Philip Ryken says the promise, this promise meant that God knew what he was doing. He had known it all along as he always does. God makes his plan and then he carries it out. Everything he does is for the ultimate good of his people. God has good for us here. He's brought us here for a reason. And when you understand your reason, your why, your purpose for being here, it begins to shift the focus of how you live here. And so knowing your true purpose for being in the city does a few things. Firstly, it helps you be, uh, it helps you be intentional. Jeremiah is calling the nation of Israel to live intentionally. You see in verses four, five, and six, some words like build, live, plant, eat. They were to take and give in marriage, have relationships. They were to bear children. They were to multiply. They were to seek the welfare of the city. All of these are imperatives. All of these are commands. And he's saying that there's an intentional way that you live that can lead to your thriving. And now what's the reason that God would need to tell them to do those things? Because they weren't doing those things right? It's like the opposite of a warning label. Anytime you see a warning label and it says, do not take this orally, it means that someone took it orally. There's a reason. And it's the opposite of that. They're not doing this, so God has to tell them to do this. Thriving happens when we do simple, everyday things with the intention of seeking the Lord. And as we do these things, we're trusting that God will guide us and to help us grow. And as we seek to grow, this takes commitment and it takes being intentional. You have to choose to do these things. And you and I, we commit to all sorts of things to help us grow. And we take intentional steps to do so. If you think about your career, you'll make sacrifices and, and, and you'll make promises and you'll, you'll prioritize in such a way that you grow in your career. Maybe it's you know, uh, continued education. We see this with emotional and intellectual growth. We, you know, emotionally, maybe you're like, I just need to talk about my feelings more. Intellectually, you're like, I'm gonna read for 30 minutes a day. We set that time aside. Whether it's that or you wanna grow your network or, or grow culturally. And the, the commonalities we have with all of these things is that we prioritize them, we make time for them, and they're non-negotiable. We say, these are the things that I will bend my schedule around. These are the things that get a place in my calendar. These are the things that if I'm doing these things, other things fall to the wayside. Years ago, I was sitting with a counselor and he said, you know, you seem like a pretty scheduled guy. He said, I bet if I looked at your, at your Google calendar, there'd be all sorts of colors and all sorts of things in there. He said, but you know, I bet I wouldn't find in there marked out where you take time to rest. Or I bet I wouldn't find in there where marked out where you spend time reading your Bible. And I said, first of all, shut your mouth. Secondly, um, yeah, why, why are you reading my email? So like this guy, this guy knew my story because we always schedule and make time for what matters. 
And we have this weird mystical thing about spiritual growth. We think we're just gonna kind of do it in the margins and we're gonna do it when it feels authentic and we're gonna do it when we feel like it. But the reality is, is that living in a busy city, we're not gonna do it if we don't make time for it. We try to fit our spiritual growth into the margins instead of making them a rhythm of our lives. And one of those rhythms you're doing this morning, I'm, I'm glad you're doing it, we're making worship a priority. We're coming and we're sitting. One of the most countercultural things that you and I can do in a busy city is sit and rest before the Lord. Sit and rest and sit under God's teaching. Come together and love others in the name of Jesus. We, make, we should make time for, for reading our Bible and prayer, for community during the week, for serving one another. And as we grow, we need to be intentional by understanding and being aware of the unique barriers that come with trying to grow in the city. My, my friend, Jerry Kirk, is the pastor of Renewal Church down by the Prudential Center down in Back Bay. And he wrote this great book called City Faith. And I really do think you should read it. It's a really good book about how to, and he's not just gonna, I'm not getting like money for this, but you know, help him feed his family, by the book. Um, and so, but he, but he talks about the unique barriers to growing in a city. And one of these, he says, is distraction. It's easy to get distracted here. It's so easy to get distracted in Boston. Look, we have the world's best marathon. We just had that last Monday. Who decided to put that on Easter weekend? I don't know. Um, we have the best sports teams in the world. We have great music. We have great museums, great food. And it's easy to get busy with life and wonder where time went. The second is deceit. Kirk says that cities will expose you to a range of ideas you have never encountered before. Some of these ideas will enrich your life, but some of them will be explicitly opposed to what you believe and you will need to reject them. You'll, you will experience lies disguised as the truth, vanity disguised as self-care, lust disguised as self-expression, gluttony disguised as self-affirmation, and immodesty disguised as self-respect. The never-ending barrage of deceitful messages makes spiritual progress challenging. It's easy to be drawn away if we don't make intentional time for it. And then thirdly, distance. And this can come out two ways. Maybe Boston isn't home for you. And when you were back home, wherever that was, you had friends and family and you had church, you had a support system around you that helped you grow and you haven't taken the intentional steps to build that here. I would encourage you to take that next step in with the church. We'd love to help you do that. But secondly, it's also self-imposed sometimes. We create distance because we're afraid to let other people into our lives. We're afraid to seek accountability. We're afraid to, to continue to make friends when we see people move every year. But let me tell you that it's worth it because whether it's weeks or months or years, you have no idea how another person might help you grow and how you might help them grow. Another way we can be intentional about our time here is our attitude towards the city or posture towards our time here. What, look, one advantage that Israel had is they knew how long they were gonna be in Boston. They knew they were gonna be here for seven, not Boston, Babylon, 70, whatever, you know. We just, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they knew how long they were gonna be in Babylon. They're gonna be here for 70 years. Most of us don't get that. Some of us do. Some of us know we're gonna be here for two years. Some of us know we're gonna be here for a year, for five years, whatever. Most of us just don't know. Some of us plan to be here for a short time and end up being here for a long time. Some of us be here for, for, want to be here forever and God providentially moves us. But the same principles can apply about how we view our time in the city to make them valuable and intentional. And I just want to give you a couple of practical helps to help with that. First of all is pray. 
Seems simple, right? Pray. Ask God to guide you. Not, not, not just about what's practical, but, but God, is this what honors you? Is this what gives you glory? Is this, is this, how can I help people meet Jesus through my time here? How long should I stay here? The second way is to, is to invite other people in. Be open. Let others weigh in on the decision. And let me say this, not after you've already made a decision. Bring it to them. Don't just have people rubber stamp it. But invite people in and let, and let them speak into your life. And I believe, again, this is why you need a community group. We'll plug for that again. But let others hear your heart. And, and not as some way to like veto your decision, but to, to walk with you and wrestle with you through this. Because some of the greatest fruit I've seen as a pastor and as a church planner is when people let other people into their lives and wrestle through decisions. And the third is just really about your attitude. Be all here while you're here. Just be all here. It's easy to think, you know, I'm going to be gone in a year, so I don't want to build relationships with anybody. I don't want to get too close. I don't want to open up. But imagine that there's that one restaurant in Boston that you've wanted to eat at, right? There's that one place. It's up in the North End. It's got great, it's got great whatever. You don't say, man, I'm only going to be here a year. I shouldn't go to that. No, you're going to go as many times as you possibly can to that great restaurant. It's the exact same thing with community. Dig in, press in, and I promise that you won't Regret that you did. The second way that, that knowing our purpose helps us is it allows you to learn contentment. Now, I want you to notice all the commands, but one involves settling in. All of the commands, but one. All these commands about build, uh, live, plant, eat, you know, take, take marriage, bear children, multiply. All that is like staying language. All that is settling language. And that's really what modifies the one outward one, which is to seek the welfare of the city and find your own good. Because we find our own good and our own thriving and our own flourishing when our hearts are settled, not when our place is settled. We imagine the opposite. We imagine that happiness and contentment are out there. It's somewhere else. It's different circumstances. It's a different relationship. It's a different neighborhood. It's a different job. Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever leave your job. It doesn't mean you can't ever move. But what I would say is search your heart. For some of us, the reason that we came to Boston is discontentment. For some of us, the reason we want to change is discontentment. And we're looking for something that only God can fulfill because contentment rarely comes from changing your outer circumstances but changing the disposition of your heart. And Paul had to learn contentment. He said he learned contentment in all things. And John Piper tells us that contentment is not simply about settling for what we have, but trusting in what God has said. And that is what God is, is telling the Hebrew people to do. He's saying, be content. Learn to be content even here. That you can be content because God promised he would be with you and he'd be for you. You can be content in a city like Babylon, full of oppression and injustice, in a place that is not your home. You can be content because the Lord is with you. And if you're not content, if you don't learn contentment, nothing will ever satisfy, no matter how much it promises, because new will eventually become old. And shiny will eventually become dull. And the old complaints and the old struggles will simply resurface. But when we realize that God has us here and that he is all that we need, it creates contentment in us. And that as we trust and we say, God, you must have something for me here. 
You must have something for me to grow in. You must have something for me to learn. You must have something for me to die to or get rid of because you are enough for me. What contentment does, I think uniquely for us in a city like Boston, is it puts our ambition in its proper place. You and I don't have to live or die from the approval of our job or our program or our residency. We don't have to. Now, it's not wrong to get admiration for a work well done. Again, Augustine again talked about how our admiration should follow good work. But what it does is contentment makes sure that ambition doesn't rule you. It means that you don't have to work without rest. It means that you can put firm boundaries in place and make time and space for others, for community. It means that your work doesn't determine whether you matter or not so that you can rest in the love of God. James K.A. Smith says that resting in the love of God doesn't squelch ambition. It fuels it with a different fire. I don't have to strive to get God to love me. Rather, because God loves me unconditionally, I'm free to take risks and launch into the deep. I'm released to aspire to use my gifts and gratitude, caught up in God's mission for the sake of the world. When you've been found, you're free to fail. What this means is whether Boston is your forever home or a stepping stone or what God uses to humble you, to take you to smaller and seemingly less significant, it's okay because you're perfectly loved by a God who gave himself for you. The third way it helps us is it calls you to help build a better and greater city. What he's saying when he talks about seeking the welfare of Babylon is he means building a good and great city. It's not at odds with with your own good and your own growth. In fact, these two things are intertwined, meaning that there's a way to live in the city where it's not just simply about what you get out of it, but it's a way that we give ourselves to this place to seek the good of others and the glory of God. So how do we quickly, how do we build a great city? The first way is we do this by being good neighbors. Notice the verse uh, in verse five, it says, build homes and live in them. What this is telling us is it means be present in the neighborhood. Be there, be in, in this place. Philip Ryken again says, seeking the peace of the city means being a good neighbor. It means shoveling the sidewalk. It means cleaning the street. It means planting a tree. It means feeding the poor. It means volunteering at the local school. It means greeting people at the store. It means driving safely and helping people with car trouble. It means shutting down immoral businesses. It means embracing people from every ethnic background with the love of Christ. It means be here while you're here. It means that your home is not just a place to retreat to, but asking how can I leverage my house or my apartment or my neighborhood for the sake of others? And so even if you're here for just a short period of time, what would it look like for you to adopt your block or adopt your floor in your apartment complex and say, I'm gonna be a good neighbor? Secondly, is doing your job well. We see the call here to plant gardens and understanding in this agricultural culture, these people from a far off place, they were probably trading crops to make money. Uh, They're building homes, creating commerce. In the same way, God has created you in his image, as we talked about earlier, you're designed to create, to express beauty, to discover truth, to pursue goodness. And so your job can become not just a means to a paycheck, not just a means to your personal fulfillment, but asking how can I leverage my career and my abilities and my opportunities for the flourishing of others? So meaning if I'm in finance, how do I use this to create wealth, to bless other people? How do I, uh, if I'm teaching, how can I lift someone and show them that they they can learn? Or if it's manufacturing or crunching numbers or staying home or whatever it might look like, how do I do this to the glory of God? 
Thirdly, as we pray for the city, we pray. We ask God to make what's right here prosper, to make what's wrong cease, to heal what's broken, to grow our hearts for our city, to pray for the gospel to go forward and the church to grow. And then lastly, we show where real peace is found. Jeremiah reminds them in the following verses that they have a unique relationship with God, that an eternal hope that the, their Babylonian neighbors didn't have. And as Christians, we have a hope that goes far beyond what Boston promises us. In verses 12 through 14, we see about a God who tells them to call on him and to seek him and that, we'll be, that he will be found. We as followers of Jesus, who God has come to us, we extend to our friends and neighbors the hope of a crucified Savior named Jesus, who knew his purpose, who was sent by the Father for our welfare and gives eternal hope to all who will receive him. Let's pray. 